Hey there everyone, welcome to a new episode of The Dark Parade. I am your pal Bo. Uh, I am here to guide you through the dark corridors of both my mind and recent horror movie viewings on this episode of Wretched Reviews, the second such episode. And so, uh, as some of you may know, if you're a regular listener, um, we have uh, been kind of doing a series of bonus episodes for the the past few months, uh, largely because I am going back to school, and I am in my last semester now. I just started my my first uh, day of school was Monday, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was the first in person college classes I've taken in forever, uh, which was kind of crazy, but, uh, really enjoyable. And so, you know, with that being the case, it is a little bit difficult to, uh, you know, put together, uh, all the shows and all the scheduling and the research and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, not that we won't do plenty of that. Um, that will hopefully be coming sooner rather than later, uh, as things kind of settle down. Um, but, uh, but for right now, we're, we're, it's just you and me, nobody else. You can lower the lights, put on some candles, maybe throw on some, uh, Teddy Pendergrass, some Teddy P and, uh, we're going to talk about three recent, uh, movies as well as one book that I've read. Uh, one of the joys of, uh, being really busy is that I've made a point of carving out, um, a little bit of time for myself every day. Uh, or almost every day to do a little bit of reading and have been enjoying uh, my share of, you know, I would almost say pulp horror, but it's not quite pulp horror. Uh, certainly Dead Silence was a little pulpy, the the first uh, such book we talked about. Uh, the one we're going to talk about today on this episode, a little less pulpy and a little more, you know, uh, literary, I would argue. So, um, without further ado, let it, let's talk about some movies. And also the last time we did one of these, I felt like, um, you know, there were some sort of down notes, some movies that I didn't really care for or were questionable. And in this case, I don't really have that. There's not a really a movie I didn't like. Um, there are movies I like more than others, but, um, you know, without further ado, let us get into it. Um, so let's talk about Glorious first. And Glorious is uh, a, a film written and uh, directed by Rebecca McKendry. And forgive me, I'm, I'm going to have to look that up and make sure I've got that right. I know she directed it. I feel like she wrote it as well. Um, but we shall see. And... Um, it stars Ryan Quanton from True Blood, if you remember him. Uh, sorry, uh, David Ian McKendry, uh, Rebecca McKendry's husband, um, and Joshua Hill and Todd Rigney, Rigney um, had uh, had written uh, this as well. And um, they uh, so like Rebecca McKendry has been kind of a student of horror for a long time. Wrote for. A number of blogs and and has been sort of a, a pundit for horror for a long time and and has done some directing this seems to me and and as always feel free to uh correct me um where i get things wrong but this seems to me to be the most uh like the biggest splash that that rebecca, rebecca mckintry has made uh thus far um, she, uh, so anyway, let's get into what the story is before I confuse myself. So it starts Ryan Quanton, um, and the voice of JK Simmons. It's, it's sort of a one location story where Ryan Quanton, um, as the movie initially presents itself has broken up with his girlfriend or been left by his girlfriend or something, you know, something that this woman that he was in love with no longer with him. And he's, he's kind of having a meltdown. And so he ends up getting loaded at a rest stop. And at this rest stop where he gets loaded, he wakes up the next day. Um, he is pantsless, uh, and, 
um, sick and, you know, all the things that happen when you get loaded at a rest stop and then burn your clothes. And he goes into a bathroom where he is addressed by a mysterious voice. The voice is uh, supplied by the amazing J.K. Simmons, um, who, you know, you would know as J. Jonah Jameson from the Spider-Man movies if you're a nerd like me, but, you know, probably his seminal role is now Whiplash. Oh my God, if you've never seen Whiplash, J.K. Simmons and Whiplash is, you know, it's one of those roles, right, that once you see him do that, you're like, oh, nobody else could have done that. He's, he's amazing. And so, um, and so this mysterious voice uh, ultimately says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm sort of a demigod, and you are in a unique position to sort of save the world. And so as the movie goes on, um, we learn more about Ryan Kwan's character, and we, you know, have these conversations between Quan and J.K. Simmons as uh, this, you know, put upon fellow who is trapped in a bathroom with a, you know, cosmic god. And uh, so that's the premise of the movie. And it, it's a, a pretty good premise. I would argue, though, and, and like I said in the upfront, there's not a movie this time around that I don't like. And I like this movie. I think this movie is good. I just don't think the movie is great. And I know a lot of people do. A lot of people really love this movie. I will absolutely acknowledge this is a really creative example of doing a sort of a minimalist film where you really just have one actor on screen most of the time. And the rest of the time in the film, you're, you know, sort of dealing with uh, a voice. And, and this guy, it's really one set, although... You know, it goes outside of that, and there's some creative stuff along the way. But I can't imagine this movie was made for that much money. You know, like, you're really, I think, mostly paying for uh, the stars and a little bit of effects work. And, you know, so, I would, like, if this movie was two, three million dollars, that feels about right. Uh, could have been more than that, you know, depending on the, the cost of the talent and so forth, but... That feels like it's in the ballpark to me. And and that's not throwing shade at the movie for being a movie that is uh, a little bit lower budget. I mean, hell, you're talking to the guy who did Lost After Dark. So that's fine. I got no problems with a low budget movie. Um, but it, because it is kind of constrained and because it is a one set kind of film, um, I felt like the length of the movie, even though the movie is only you know, 89 minutes long, something like that, 82, uh, not 90 minutes, that I really felt like this movie was kind of straining the boundaries of what it ought to have been. Uh, it almost feels like this movie should have been like a 25, 30 minute short film. Um, there's also uh, some, you know, turns through the story that I found a little uh, predictable and ultimately not terribly satisfying. Um, I wish it had been a little more comedic. Like that's one of the things that I, I reacted to kind of negatively about the movie is that I, I think the comedy and the horror aspects of it, the cosmic horror stuff uh, sometimes sits uncomfortably alongside one another. But but at the uh, so those are all my complaints. The good stuff is uh, the performances are really good. It is really creative. The best parts of the movie are when you just have Ryan Kwan uh, and J.K. Simmons talking, and you know a guy talking to a demigod and trying to figure out like why why me of all people and what is it that you want and you know that sort of stuff. And maybe that's one of the things that I feel a little slighted by in, in the movie is that I wanted more of that. I wanted it to be a little more esoteric, a little more philosophical. And I don't know that it ever really reaches those heights um, where it, you know, like old Star Trek or something where it's like, let's debate ideas. And to me, when you have two characters, uh, a two hander like this, as they call it in the business, um, going back and forth, like two heavy hitters, you know, you, you want something along the the lines of, like, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Or My Dinner with Andre is a great example of a movie where 
you know, it's just two actors talking about interesting things. And I don't know that this movie reaches that. that that's maybe the big problem I have with it is that I feel like the writing was good and not great. And I wanted it to be great. I wanted it to explore ideas of, you know, what it means to be human, what it means not to be human. Because there, there's a great bit where J.K. Simmons talks about, like, what it would mean if he was made flesh. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting idea that, you know, once made flesh, you become this, uh, you know, kind of tool of vengeance of this cosmic god. Um, and what does that mean to be flesh? Uh, you know, does... Uh, does being corporeal um, mean that you are susceptible to emotion or you're chained to uh, this other creature because you're corporeal and it's just like well these these are the rules and this is what's said and that's it and I wanted it to be more I wanted that stuff explored more I wanted it to be a little headier and more cerebral and instead it's more pee jokes and not that pee jokes are bad, you know? Uh, that's totally fine, but... Um, I, I wish... Th- I, like, I, again, I'm, I, I'm, I keep repeating myself, but I just wanted the movie to be a little bit smarter than it was. Um, or, or certainly felt, you know? Like, there's some uh, metaphorical stuff, of course, happening. Like, once you get to the turns in the story, and you're like, oh, okay, I kind of understand this uh, to be a little bit different than what I first thought even though like I said I, I, I found that to be I don't know if it was supposed to be uh, a, a surprise in the film where it ultimately goes but it was something that you know if you're paying attention you can kind of guess a ways off and or you know what what turn that it's going to take and then once you do that you're kind of waiting for the movie to catch up with you uh, I think so but uh, you know I, I feel like I'm talking about all the stuff that I'm I, I'm complaining about and that's because it, it felt like a, a near miss to me that I still think you should see it like it's on shutter um, you should absolutely see uh, this movie you should see glorious uh, I think it's quite good um, I like I said I, I'm complaining about it in nitpicking because it fell short of being great and I wish it had been great uh, instead of just being good, but it was good. It was good. It was a good time. Um, so let's leave it there. That is, uh, Ooh, that is me knocking over my glass. Um, that is glorious. And now let's turn our attention to the innocence, uh, which is uh, a movie that is also, uh, provided to us by the good people at shutter. And The Innocence is a Danish movie. Norway is where where it's from. And um, it is uh, directed by Iskil Volt and written by, by the, same, uh, the same as the director. Um, and so it's about a young girl named Ida and her sister Anna. And Anna is autistic. And very withdrawn, um, very much uh, sort of uh, nonverbal is is the way that they put it in the movie. And, um, you know, Ida is, is a kid. One of the things I really like about The Innocence, and I'll get this out of the way right now because I really do like The Innocence quite a bit. One of the things I like about it is it deals very frankly with the, the capacity of cruelty for children. The capacity of children for cruelty. And Ida is kind of a shit to her sister Anna. Like they're moving to um, this new uh, block of flats with uh, the the father who has gotten a new job. And they're not going on vacation like Ida wanted to. And instead, it's a lot of attention paid to Anna who is, again, she's nonverbal. She's uh, uh, autistic and... Um, the parents are trying to cope with that and figure out, is there some way that we can communicate with this child um, who doesn't seem to be able to communicate much at all anymore? And um, Ida meets a, a kid named Ben. And Ben is uh, has a, a weird talent. Like, it's all, this is almost like if the X-Men went wrong. Uh, <laughs> and... 
Ben has the ability to move things with his mind, at least initially. And he discovers later on that he's capable of much more. And so she sees Ben perform these sort of impossible tricks by, uh, you know, throwing rocks when she drops them and, and that kind of thing. And the, the powers sort of develop over time, especially when they meet um, Aisha, who is another young girl who lives in, in and around these flats. And Aisha is um, an empath. Uh, she has the ability to uh, to like, listen in on other people, like a little bit of, uh, of ESP, as well as uh, feeling other people's pain. Um, and that's sort of how she connects with Anna, is because Ida does a really jacked up thing by putting broken glass in the toes of, of Anna's shoes. And so when she starts walking, you know, she ends up uh, cutting up her toes pretty good. And Aisha feels that. And so um, what we quickly learn is that both Ben and Aisha have these abilities. Um, it turns out that Anna does as well. And that if all three of them are together, all of their abilities are heightened. And then the movie gets into the business of sort of the good versus evil of this, which is um, Ben is, you know, he's grown up bad. His parents or his mother is kind of terrible. And he's got a cruel streak a mile wide. And let me just say right now, there is some animal violence in this movie. Uh, as you see Ben do uh, some really jacked up stuff with a cat. Uh, and Ida too. Ida's along for the ride to a point. And that's where you kind of understand. Like Ida is, um, you know, almost the, the main character from Platoon. Kind of torn between Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe. The Charlie Sheen character. Um, and, and it's a bit like that where Ben represents this you know, sort of cruelty and malice. Whereas Aisha is much kinder, you know, she's an empath, right? So, uh, by the very nature of the power that she has, she is a more empathetic person and kinder and just wants to help people. And Ben kind of wants to see the world burn. And so Ida is moving back and forth between these two characters and trying to decide, you know, not re really who's right, but what aligns with her beliefs. And at first, Ida is kind of cruel and and does goes along with Ben to do some stuff that that's pretty questionable to say the least. But then it starts to scare her. You know that um, she goes beyond that kind of childish, uh, you know, plucking the wings off flies and into something much much darker. And so, you know, the, as the story progresses, obviously this has to come to a head. Uh, the thing that I really like about The Innocence, one is in, you know, like the Swedish style of let the right one in, where it's like, we're just going to take this very seriously. We're going to play it straight. And the horror and the dark fantasy of it all um, is, is made more... Uh, effective by the just by the, the very fact that we're not treating this world as if you know people with telekinesis would exist and so when you see that and the and you know the parents reacting there's uh, uh, some stuff with Anna becoming more communicative because of, of her time with Aisha and seeing Anna and Ida's parents react to that and how um you know, the, the, these characters are the, the, the parents are like, Oh my God, like we're kind of getting one of our children back. And all of that feels real and it, it's grounded. There's very little, uh, music that is it, like the music certainly doesn't call attention to itself. It's more like ambient music and tonal music. Uh, there's not a lot of, of score per se, which might be, you know, minimalizing the, the tonal score of the film, but that's really what it is. It's more just mood piece and not, you know, uh, the, like if, if this were an American Hollywood film, you would have these grand swells of music during, 
uh, the scary stuff. And, and when it happens in the innocence, it's more just boom, you know, you, you kind of know that this bad, slightly, uh, off key note is the thing that is, is just adding to the, the discomfort of the film. And so all that said, you know, uh, the, the movie, my complaints with the movie are that it's like two hours long. It could be hour 45 and it would probably still be fine. I don't know that you would miss much out of it, but that's kind of a minor complaint of, Hey, I I think the editing could have been maybe a little tighter, but it's really fascinating. And there's something I always like about the idea of let's take the real world and nudge it. You know, it, Stephen King is what pops into my head all the time because I was a Stephen King kid when I was growing up. That's what I read a lot. And Stephen King was the master of let's take a small town or a family or whatever and give it this supernatural nudge. And we're going to treat it as if it's totally real and have the characters sort of deny the reality of this uh, impossible and unreal thing. And that's how the innocence feels. And, you know, much like let the right one in, like let the right one in is sort of what if there were really vampires and how would that look and let the right one in? Obviously it's a fantasy. Um, but you could, you know, you can argue the, the veracity of its presentation, uh, the realism of the film and the innocence is like that. There's no, there are no heightened moments there. You know, there is a climax to be sure. Um, but it's not played that way. You know, it is played like this is the ultimate culmination of the film. And, and one of the things that I really like the, uh, is where the movie lands is this kind of complicated idea about how children live in their own private worlds and how you kind of grow up like when you make that transition from from childhood to adulthood and having to handle some heinous shit but also you're still a child you know like um there's trauma to be found everywhere in the lives of these characters like uh, Aisha um, her father just isn't around and we don't fully know the story of that but he's not around just like Ben's father is not around but that mother is more of a nightmare and and creates a nightmare of her own with Ben. Whereas with Ida and Anna, like they do have both parents. Um, and it's one of the parents who tells them like, you know, being a grown up is just having to take care of some things by yourself sometimes. And so the journey of the movie is both for these children to, you know, in, in some ways become adults and become responsible but also, um, it all ends in this very kind of bittersweet moment of, uh, trying to return to childhood and it's, it's really great. It's, it's filled with incredible performances. A lot of times kids are just the worst in movies. Like kid actors can be, you know, unendurable in some movies and the innocence has some great kid actors, uh, particularly Aisha, who is a character that could very easily just be saccharine. And again, it's uh, part of it is the writing and direction of the film. And part of it is just having a great young actress of uh, Mina Yasmin Brimseth Ashaim is her name. And she's terrific. Also, uh, Rachel Lenora Flotum is Ida. She's amazing. Alva Brinsmo Ramstad is Anna. She's amazing. Sam Ashraf is Ben. He's amazing. You know, it's it, like everywhere you look, um, there there are great performances from young actors. And that is something to be celebrated. And again, this is one of those things that's on um, Shudder. And I found it to be, I almost like, I, I'm going to compare it to Glorious because they're both recent Shudder premieres. I want to listen to the director's commentary on Glorious just so I can hear uh, Rebecca McKendry, who I think is a very smart and erudite uh, woman talk about her take on the material of glorious and what she feels like is going on thematically in that film. 
Um, maybe I'm just missing something that would really, you know, suck me into it. And, and maybe it's just a result of having seen the innocence recently prior to seeing glorious and the innocence just kind of knocked my socks off. And I, I thought it was, you know, beautifully shot. It's compelling. It's horrifying at times. Like I said, the, the animal, uh, violence is no joke. I mean, it's not clearly, clearly it is not real. You know, this is not cannibal Holocaust stuff. But it is really effective. Like when it happened, I was like, holy shit. That, I can't believe I just witnessed this on screen. And, you know, you think it's bad. And then it gets worse. So, uh, and, and there's a lot of moments where the movie goes hard. In a way that I really appreciate. Like, there's, you know, there's some violence towards children and all of that stuff. It's... There's some gnarly stuff happening in, in The Innocence. For being a movie that is not about, you know, uh, gore or salaciousness or anything like that, um, there are moments in the movie. And, and it's sort of what makes Let the Right One In great as well, right? Is that uh, the gore and the violence doesn't happen often. And then when it does, you're like, oh, wow. The, you know, this movie does not, it's not pulling punches when it wants to, to throw those haymakers and it, it's quite good. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed the innocence. And if I were great in these things, I would probably land like right around a three and a half for glorious, because again, I, there's a lot to recommend glorious. Uh, whereas the innocence would be a solid four stars. And that doesn't sound like a big difference. Um, but four stars to me is sort of like, this is not just something you ought to watch, but this is kind of special. Um, there, there's something about this that that's really compelling. And honestly, my biggest complaints are the, the runtime and, and there are times where the narrative drags just a little bit enough to make it a less than perfect movie, but boy, it's awfully good. And you catch me on the right day. Maybe it's a, a four and a half star movie. Um, so that's the innocence. If, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I can't recommend it enough. Terrific, terrific film. Um, so let us then turn our attention to the final film that I would like to talk about this evening. And that is, uh, orphan, uh, first kill. And you will soon be hearing an episode of heart of horror with myself and Kate Pollock talking about orphan and, um, you know, well, I'll, I'll leave that discussion for that show. But here's what I think about Orphan in a nutshell. Because, you know, those aren't really review shows. Uh, those are more, um, you know, discussions of filth. And and, and honestly, the conversation we're going to have is going to be a lot about kids. And how they can go oh so wrong. Orphan first kill, though. Uh, or let me finish my thought about Orphan, sorry. So Orphan... I think is an overlong, slightly overly serious movie, but it's really fun. Mostly because of Isabel Furman being kind of wonderful as the, the villainous Esther. And when she made that movie, she was 10 years old and, uh, and she's a great young actress in that film and is creepy and scary and, um, that movie is the right kind of silly. I almost wish it was sillier, which leads me to orphan first kill and orphan first kill is, uh, let me pull up the bona fides on this. Cause when I looked it up, uh, I thought that the guy who directed it, um, had not done anything that I really liked. William Brent Bell is the guy's name. He did stay alive. He did the boy, which is okay. He did Where, which is okay. Um, the Devil Inside, which is not very good. Stay Alive, which is not very good. Um, you know, so not a great directorial track record as far as I'm concerned. And then you get to the guy who wrote it, a guy named David Cogshall or Cogshall. And he did one of my favorite bad sequels, uh, which is... Uh, the Haunting in Connecticut to Ghosts of Georgia. Um, and that is not a very good movie either. But he also did a movie called uh, Prey, 
which I haven't seen. Not the, the recent Predator movie, but another movie called Prey. He's writing something called The Deliverance um, that is going to be directed by Lee Daniels, the guy who wrote uh, or, or who um, directed uh, Precious and some of Empire and anyway uh, United States versus Billy Holiday uh, doing a, a, a remake of Terms of Endearment Lee Daniels is at any rate um, so the, the, the guy who directed David, or wrote it David Coxall uh, you know not a list of movies and, and like he did Scream the TV series and basically you put those two things together which is uh, a director and a writer, neither of whom have done anything that I thought was remarkable. Certainly fine in some cases, mostly not so fine uh, by my estimation, but nothing that, you know, you're going to write home about. And so they're responsible for making this prequel to Orphan. And the right off the bat, one of the first things about this movie is that you realize that, oh, Isabel Furman is not 10 years old anymore and she looks like a grown person. And so a lot of the movie is Isabel Furman dressed up like a young child, clearly not a young child anymore. And there are so many scenes where you see like an actual, you know, 10 year old stand in from behind in a wig or whatever. And it's very silly. And so at first I was like, Oh no, this movie might just stink. And it's mostly fine. It's it's kind of like, okay, the first 30-ish minutes, I was pretty skeptical, to say the least. Then there is a turn in the movie, which I will not spoil. But there is a twist in this film that turns it from a remake of the first movie to something else entirely. And once it takes that turn... It was a real, like, sitting up in my chair, like, wait a second, what is this movie about again? And that twist I found so wonderful and so delightful. And once the twist happens, it kind of recontextualizes everything that's happening in the movie. And everybody gets to play this movie as schlock, and which is what it is. And when I was describing this a little bit earlier in the Discord group, I basically described it as if Lifetime, the movie channel, had gotten the rights to do Orphan and decided that they were just going to make that series 30 times sillier. And the result of that is pure beauty. <laughs> and, and let me say this up front. Is Orphan First Kill a great movie? Eh, I mean... Technically, probably not. But it is just so um, self-aware without being cloying about it, of knowing what it, what is this character and what is this movie supposed to be. And the first movie is a little self-serious, and this movie is not at all. And it understands how ridiculous the premise is. It embraces that ridiculousness, and then turns it to 11. And along the way, you allow Isabel Furman to have an absolute blast uh, in in this role. Um, and Julia Stiles, who is the mother... And, let me, and, and here's the whole premise, right? Is that if you remember the movie Orphan, the orphan is a woman who is actually in her 30s. She's got proportional dwarfism and is just a psychopath that is playing Peter Sarsgaard and Vera Farmiga uh, as suckers to essentially weasel her way into the family, get, you know, three hots and a cod, hopefully make out with Peter Sarsgaard and get rid of Vera Farmiga along the way. Along with anyone else who, you know, wants to take her to the dentist because as soon as they go to the dentist, her fucked up teeth are going to be found out and they're going to be like, oh, you're a monster. You're an, a grown person. And so... Orphan First Kill obviously takes place before that and rightfully, you know, kind of wraps up in a way that certainly suggests, you know, here's the, the first movie that you saw. But it starts back at the Sarn Institute 
where um, Esther um, or uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Leona? Lenora? Something like that. Uh, where she is originally um, held and and everyone that encounters her is told like she is a nut. She is a pure psychopath. Do not give her an inch because she will destroy you and everything you love. And sure enough, we get to see her do some of that, and it's terrific. Uh, very funny. And and that's the, the one of the other things about this movie is that I just cackled at times watching this film because uh, the movie understands again the schlock of what this movie is, and and really leans hard into it. So. The, the whole deal is that Julia Stiles and her husband, um, Alan, played by Ross of Sutherland, um, that they had a daughter go missing. And so Esther shows up like she she was going through some files or whatever, finds this missing daughter and looks enough like her that she's like, hey, I can probably get away with this. And so she basically gets herself found by police says, Hey, these people are my parents. They come get her and invite her back into the home. And as you would imagine, there are, um, you know, a a psychiatrist who, you know, may have some suspicion that, uh, Esther is not really Esther and a detective, um, who has been working the case, looking for this little girl, who also might have his suspicions, uh, as played by Hiro Kanagawa, uh, who you may know from, what, the Star Trek Discovery show, and um, what else has he been in? A bunch of television. Charmed. He was in Charmed, that remake of that. Uh, He was Dr. Kitamura in uh, The Terror. Um, and, uh, that, uh, the terror, uh, what was the one set at the concentration camp or the relocation camp? Um, infamy. Is that right? Terror infamy. And anyway, uh, been in legends of tomorrow. Yada, yada. Just a, a kind of a died in the wool TV actor, but he's a detective who's, you know, been sniffing around that Esther's like, Oh, I might have to take care of this dude on account of him maybe getting a little too close to the truth. But like I said, and then there's a turn that the movie takes and all bets are off and it just becomes this just wonderful over the top campy schlocky film that I could not get enough of. Uh, By the time it ended, there's some bad CGI fire at the end of this movie that I was not crazy about, but I was so bought in with how crazy and dumb the movie was. And I'm this is me saying it's dumb in the most positive possible way. So, yes, it's very silly, it's very dumb, but it's wildly entertaining. And um and I loved it. Like I probably enjoyed it more than I did The Innocence. The Innocence is objectively a better, more thoughtful film. Orphan First Kill I could not have had more fun uh, f- more fun with if, you know, I was being spoon-fed delicious banana pudding while somebody massaged my scalp and touched my tingly bits, whatever. It was just a delight. I loved it from the, from the moment that it takes its turn to the end. And if you want to talk about it more explicitly, uh, jump over to the Discord which you can find on uh, uh, legionpodcast.com forward slash the dash dash the dash dark dash parade there you go so you can find a link to the discord there Um, or on the Facebook group you can find uh, uh, if you look for the dark parade on that Facebook group there's a link to the discord so um, yeah so that's really it I don't want to say too much more about it I would really love to talk more about it but I want you to enjoy the film. And when the thing happens and you'll know it, there's no way to miss it. There is a thing that happens in the movie where you're like, Oh, so we're going this direction then. And Oh, it made me so happy. Oh my God. Uh, William Brent Bell, David Coxall, you never, you never did anything before this that I thought was great. I think this movie is great. 
I think that people um, who are looking for a serious orphan movie, first of all, shouldn't. It, Orphan's a silly premise to begin with. But people who are upset about just how schlocky this movie is, like, you know, ignore those those uh, those complaints and make the next one crazier. You know, by, by the, the next one, I hope they do a sequel to Orphan First Kill. And I hope that it's just bananas. In, like, from frame one. Like, don't even play it straight. Like, this one plays it straight for about 30 minutes, and then it just becomes nonsense in the best possible way. Um, I, I wish that they would do a third film. I need the Orphan Trilogy, where they just get progressively goofier the way that the Evil Dead series does. Like, Orphan First Kill, in a lot of ways, is the Evil Dead 2 of Orphan movies. And I'm, I'm waiting for the Army of Darkness, where it's just like, okay, we're just going to have a good time. Uh, we're not even going to pretend like this is a real movie anymore. Um, and just let Isabel Furman do her thing. It's so much fun. So, anywho. Um, the, yeah, so those are our three movies. Of the three, I would recommend Orphan First Kill the most. Um, just because it's quick. It's like 90 minutes long. And it's just a hoot. And The Innocence is the one that, you know, when compiling my end of year list... Well, uh, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, and Orphan First Kill may find its way on a top ten, but The Innocence is the one that's like, this is a, this is cinema. This is a legitimate movie. It's well done. It's much more uh, rich in terms of the the themes that it's dealing with. But you know, Orphan First Kill is crazy. <coughs> Okay, so let's wrap things up real quick. Um, thanks for sticking with me, by the way, uh, with a, a bit of a book report um, on a, the last novella I read in the horror genre is a book called Tender is the Flesh by August, uh, Augustina Bestarica, I think is her name. It is um, an Argentinian author. Uh, and it is, so the premise of Tinder is the flesh is that all of the world's meat has been spoiled because of a virus. And this was written ahead of COVID. So it's not about COVID, but you know, what isn't these days? Like that is the great national trauma that we've all shared. So that is the thing that we're all thinking about to one degree or another. But the, uh, the virus essentially makes um, meat poisonous to people, to, to you or I. So you can't eat lamb and uh, cows and chickens and um, cow. Did I say cows? I did say cows. Uh, and pigs and all, you know, all the domestic animals that we normally eat. And uh, up to and including like dogs and cats and stuff like that. And so there's this big purge to, to kill, you know, all these domestic animals that, that could turn around and kill us because of this virus. And, uh, by the way, this is all highly allegorical, so don't get uh, too bent out of shape about the practicality of any of this. And so the, uh, the, the story is told from the point of view of a guy who works uh, buying meat for a slaughterhouse. But because uh, all the cows and pigs and chickens can no longer be used as meat, um, instead there is a class of human beings that are then used as meat. And these human beings, they are, uh, their vocal cords uh, are cut at an early age. They are not educated. They are not taught to speak. They are given no recourse um, other than to just live in cages and be used as, as meat for the rest of us. And it is an incredibly grim book. Um, it's fascinating, though, because the, the main character sort of works in the, in the bowels of the system that creates this, uh, that, you know, br brings these human beings to slaughter, that you get a lot of you know, sort of behind the scenes of how 
all the mechanics of this industry operates and um, the best way to slaughter people and what's the, the best tasting meat and, uh, you know, like raising children to be veal-like cuts of, of meat and um, how... One of my favorite details, and it's an early detail in the novel, is that um, when all the animals started to, to die or to, to become infected with this virus that could kill people, that the government wasn't immediately pivoting to human meat, you know, to cannibalism. Instead, um, people just took it on themselves and would kill people in the streets and then carve them up and eat them. And so the government was like, well, if people are going to do it anyway, we can probably turn a buck off of this and regulate it. And so that's what happens. They, they start growing meat in response to human beings being monsters, you know, and rather than do something sensible, like, Oh, let's just turn to a plant-based diet. It's like, no, 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 we're going to eat meat. It's just a question of which meat we eat. And it's really, really grim. It's fascinating. The end of the book is a gut punch. And I really adored it. I, I just could not wait to get back into the book and finish it. It's it's terrific. It's a tough read. It is even for an old jaded salt like myself, who has seen many, many grim things and horror films and read plenty of uh, disgusting novels and it's written beautifully it's got a very sparse almost like Hemingway-esque kind of uh, dialogue and and prose it's very efficient prose um, and, and maybe because it feels more literary than a lot of pulp novels even though it's definitely got a foot in pulp um but it, it's just astounding. It's an astounding piece of work. And I really, really, really liked it. Um, it again, if I were going to throw grades around. So, Glorious is three and a half stars. The Innocence is four. Orphan is four. Um, you know, if I'm feeling more professorial, The Innocence is four and a half. And Orphan, first kill is four. Um, but yeah, Tender is the Flesh was a solid four and a half for me. Um, it's only a couple hundred pages, so it's a fairly quick read. And, and I couldn't get enough. Like, I was just transfixed by it. Even though it has some of the darkest looks at humanity and what human behavior is capable of. And not just the idea of me, but how we, how we treat each other and how we see each other. Um, it, it's a well done novel and uh, I, I again Agustina Bastarica uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that kind of right um, has a wonderful wonderful author uh, I somebody recently was talking about a French poet said that um, you know uh, there is a, a mechanical prose that will get you through a plot. It'll connect the plot points, but it's very workmanlike and art, great art and literature. The words dance. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're flowery. It just means that the author has a command of the language and, and does things with it that are um, affecting and, and sometimes troubling and sometimes beautiful. And I really feel like this book comes pretty close to that level of authorship uh it's a, a terrific book so um yeah so i think that's gonna wrap it up this time um i'm got i've got a found footage fool that i'm kind of sitting on i'm not sure when i want to release it yet but uh someone recommended uh series seven the contenders and i got that i ordered it it came in i watched it and uh and i'm ready to release that onto the world. So I will do that, uh, in fairly short order. That might be next week. And, uh, and there's more coming soon. Uh, heart of horror is coming soon. We're, um, having a little bit of trouble scheduling because of Kate's schedule right now, uh, as well as mine, like mine's not much easier. So, um, I would encourage you to, uh, 
Uh, check out some of the back episodes of uh, Heart of Horror if you haven't listened to it. It's a, a real fun show. So that's coming up pretty soon. Um, I've got some other stuff on the burner, and it's really just a question of, of finding that equilibrium with time where I can do some of the more research-intensive stuff that I want to do with this show and also do the research that, you know, gets me graduated, uh, which will happen at the end of this semester. So, uh, and then I start teaching and then I'll have all kinds of time. <laughs> uh, but thanks very much for listening to the dark parade. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. Um, as I said, you can certainly find me, um, on the Facebook group that I check in on most days, every now and again, I miss a day, but most days, um, and if you want to say hey on the Discord channel, I am there every day. Uh, and if you want to talk about any of these movies, then please hit me up because I would be curious to have a discussion about any and all, um, especially The Innocence, which I haven't really talked to a lot of people about, but I really, really liked it. And I'm always down for a conversation, which we've already had in, on the Discord channel about Orphan First Kill and how much I loved it. Uh, and, and how silly and, and kind of terrible it is, but it, the, it's the kind of terrible that is, uh, is camp and, and you know, like the, the movie isn't accidentally bad. It, it is just intentionally silly in the best possible way. And, and, you know, again, to use the, uh, somewhat tired spinal tap line, um, it goes to 11. And I'm glad it does. It's a better movie for it. So, uh, but check those movies out. The Innocence and, and Orphan First Kill in particular, I think you'll find to be uh, well worth your time. Tender as the Flesh is a terrific book. And uh, if you get the opportunity, check that out as well. And I think that's going to do it this time. Um, like I said, be back next week with more new stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for rating where you can. Thanks for dropping by the Discord to say hello. All of that stuff. And uh, and thank you, as always, for joining the Dark Parade. We'll talk next week. <laughs>